Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, this day, and we thank you for each one that's here this morning. Uh, we thank you for the, the privilege it is to gather together uh, and to commune with the living God, uh, the one who is and was and is to come. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for your, your watch care over us, your faithfulness to us, uh, that no matter how uncertain our lives may be or the world in which we live, uh, we know that we can always uh, turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Uh, and that will directly uh, impact us so that the things of this uh, earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for that truth. And Lord, as we open up your eternal word this morning, we ask that your spirit would teach us, that you would help our hearts to be uh, moldable, uh, that our ears would be attentive, uh, and that you would give us the ability to focus on you for these moments together this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ken has already read our text for the day. Uh, and as you know, uh, two weeks ago, I gave a, a, some introductory considerations because we are beginning to uh, walk through the book of Ephesians. Uh, together. Uh, and uh, today our text uh, is verse 1, and it's one single word, Paul. Because I want to introduce you to who Paul is, or, or answer the question, who was Paul? Uh, because Paul is now is giving here as a statement of fact that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But that is not who Paul was always as an individual. Uh, matter of fact, Paul has not been his name uh, up until recently as he wrote this book. Uh, and we're going to see that this morning because it's important for us to know the author of the book. Now, we do know that every word of the Bible which we hold is God-breathed. It is inspired by God, and God moved in the individuals that wrote those words. Uh, so as uh, Pastor Caden pointed out this morning in Sunday school in relation to the book of Romans is true with the book of Ephesians, that it is 100% God written and 100% Paul written because God used Paul in his personality and in who he was before Christ as uh, to who he was in Christ to write these words. Uh, and we are going to see as we uh, spend some time looking at Paul and his uh, his life previous to this statement, that he is an actual chosen instrument of God, that God has a particular purpose, a high calling, as it were, for Paul, uh, a calling to which uh, we will find as we uh, finish out this morning that he has given each and every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so when we think about Paul, uh, we understand as we take a look at the New Testament that Paul actually is the author of 13 letters uh, in our New Testament. Uh, we call them letters or epistles, or Pauline epistles. Uh, and as we take a look at our New Testament, we know that Paul wrote the book of Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Uh, he wrote all those books under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to pin down what is actually much of our Christian doctrine today. As we take a look at the, the New Testament uh, and we take a look at, at some of the things that we're going to even tackle here in the months to come, uh, speak to the deity and the humanity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that he had to come 
uh, and came with a particular focus uh, of being obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross, a symbol of shame. Because that is what the Godhead decided before uh, anything was created, that this was going to be the, the mode through which salvation would come. Uh, it also speaks to uh, Christian doctrines of predestination, election, justification, salvation, and sanctification, uh, which those may be a lot of big words, and we're going to define them in weeks to come, uh, and you're just going to have to keep coming back to find out what they mean. Uh, that or go home and study, and you can figure it out too. Uh, but these letters that uh, Paul wrote were also very practical. Uh, which means that we can apply them to our lives today. So the Word of God is not some old book that's full of good thoughts or, you know, uh, solemn wisdom that we should revere, and that's all. Uh, The Word of God is living and active. Uh, It has a goal in mind of transforming us uh, from a likeness that is in rebellion against God, that are dead in their trespasses and sins, and those that have been made alive in Christ Jesus and have a, a transformed mind to be able to think and to see things uh, as God does. And so uh, Paul speaks to all kinds of different subjects. He speaks to spiritual gifts, armor of God, uh, the roles within the home and the church, uh, qualifications for church leaders, and living the Christian life and church life, uh, some of which we will actually uh, take a look at in uh, weeks to come. You know, and as I thought about Paul and I thought about all the letters that he wrote, it made me think about um, uh, wearing different hats. Um, you know, we, one of the things was, is, you know, as we, we look at our lives, we, we talk about, you know, well, today I'm putting on my, my carpenter's hat. Um, today I'm putting on my pastor's hat. Uh, there's different hats that we can wear that signify, you know, who we are and what we, we are, you know, capable of doing. And when I think back to my younger years of the different hats that I wore professionally as well as ministry-related, you know, before I was uh, at the age of 25, uh, I was a newspaper carrier. Uh, And for all of those uh, young uh, individuals that don't know what a newspaper is, uh, it's something where we used to get our news from, and it was the job of people to deliver it to your door. Uh, That doesn't happen anymore because the Internet comes right into your house. Um, I was a hardware clerk, uh, I was a grocery store clerk, and a food broker. Uh, and I did all those different things as I, I grew older and I went through high school uh, and even into my early years of college. And then after age 25, uh, up until uh, my current age of 50, I have been a professional student, which if I would have had one singular focus, I could have been a doctor because I went to school that long, um, but I ended up being a pastor instead, which is an even better calling. Uh, I've been a carpenter handyman. I've been a salesman. I've been a missionary. I've been a program director. I've been a ministry director. I've been a landing craft operator. I've, I've been a logger and a sawmill operator. I've been a youth leader, a custom woodworker, a pastor, a teacher, and a discipler. Uh, and each time, those were things that some of which uh, I learned from others that had, uh, you know, mastered those skills uh, and taught me. And therefore, I ended up teaching others. But each time I put one of those particular hats on, there's a particular goal in mind. And so it made me think about Paul's many hats, because as we look at Paul's epistles, uh, each book had a particular uh, focus or a particular thing that he showed in, in his, his character or his person uh, as to who he was and what he was trying to communicate. When I look at the book of Romans, I think of Paul's logic, uh, his reason, 
uh, and his theology as he speaks to the doctrines of justification, sanctification, God's sovereignty, and righteousness. As I take a look at the book of 1 Corinthians, I see Paul as the problem solver uh, as he tactfully yet boldly addresses the divisions, the disorders, and the difficulties in the church. In Titus and Timothy, uh, I see Paul as the caring teacher and counselor uh, for younger men in the ministry. So take a look at the book of Galatians. Paul was passionately calling early Christians back to grace through faith in Jesus Christ as opposed to the legalism under the Mosaic law. In the book of Philippians, uh, Paul shares uh, the joy as a bearer of the good news of salvation, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we took a look uh, two weeks ago as we did an introduction to the book of uh, Ephesians uh, and what we'll find as Paul uh, continues in that theme of, of putting forth all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, that we have an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled, kept for us in heaven. Uh, that we have a spirit that uh, guides us and directs us and seals us until the day of redemption. Speaking of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, that our salvation is not of our own doing, it is God's doing from beginning to end. Uh, and what God, through the blood of his son, pays for, he keeps and guards until that day. Uh, and so as you see, Paul wore many hats as he interacted, as he wrote these, because God used who Paul was uh, and who Paul even grew up being, but instead of it being for, for Paul's glory in and of himself, it was for God's glory instead. And so that brings me to the question, who was Paul? Because as I said at the introductory moments together, Paul actually uh, was not his birth name. Uh, and as we read here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's not who Paul had always been. He wasn't always an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, and we're going to see that today as we unpack the, the uh, uh, background into who Paul was, and it's going to actually take us out of the book of Ephesians. So uh, you don't have to even keep your finger there because the word you need to remember is Paul. And I think you can handle that. So we're going to go to the book of Acts because you need to know who Paul was because it's going to help us understand the passion and the, the heart that he has and what he's going to share with us in the book of Ephesians. So what kind of man was Paul before this statement? The statement that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Because there's much for us to glean. There's much for us to understand and much for us to see about who God is and, and how he works. So Acts chapter 22, and we're going to be flipping around from 22 to chapter 9 of the book of Acts, because uh, Paul was actually born Saul of Tarsus. His original birth name was Saul. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, uh, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict matter of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And if we take a look at, at Acts chapter 19, verse, or actually check, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, it says, but Paul, who, or but Saul, who was also Paul, if I can get it out, but Saul, who was also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So the Saul that we read about here in Acts chapter 22 and Acts 13, uh, and we'll, we'll read about in Acts 22 and the one who authored these 13 epistles, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, was Saul of Tarsus. Uh, 
before he became an apostle. But Paul also, as he uh, gives testimony to his upbringing, uh, we can turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Because it says there that he was circumcised on the eighth day, uh, which is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So that passage in in Philippians chapter 3 gives us a good picture of exactly who Saul, uh, who would become Paul in our book of Ephesians chapter 1, is prior to being an apostle of Christ Jesus. You'll notice that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he had every pedigree, everything that he needed. He sat underneath of the feet of uh, Gamaliel and was educated in a strict manner of the law, of his forefathers, so that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. If you wanted to see who was the the person that stood out amongst the Pharisees, you know, apart from the high priest himself, Paul or Saul would have been that guy. Uh, And as you can see from Philippians chapter 3, he says, as to the law of Pharisee. And of course, as you know from our study in the book of um, Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, that the Pharisees ended up uh, trying to, in their own minds, protect God's law by adding a whole bunch to it. Uh, And they did so so that they could maintain a self-righteousness of their own because they were the ones making the law and therefore making it, you know, laws that they could, you know, abide by and keep and therefore look down, as it were, over the masses and say, you know, look at us and you need to change this. Uh, And so, uh, you know, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. It says, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. Well, what does the church represent? The church represents, you know, as its birth in the the first century, as every believer in Jesus Christ. And so he says, as to zeal. So what was, you know, propelling him, what his, his desire, his passion, what he lived for was to persecute the church, to persecute believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, as to righteousness, so in other words, how he sees himself, whether or not he is a sinner or, you know, as it says here, you're right. He says, under the law, blameless. Again, this is how a Pharisee sees himself because his righteousness is internal. He looks at who he is and determines that, you know, how I examine myself, I am righteous because I keep the letter of the law but completely miss the whole essence of what the law is there for. The law being the schoolmaster to show us that we are sinners before a holy God. And as we learned in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took it to another whole level because he said it's not even just the law itself. It's, you know, and what you're able to do and show outwardly, which the Pharisees were very good at doing, and and as it were, puffing themselves up and, and saying, look at us. And you can see that in Saul's, you know, testimony here. I've circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he was the guy. Uh, And so he he looked and puffed himself up, uh, and he says, under the law, blameless. So Saul saw himself as a sinless individual. There was no blame. In relation to the law, no one could point a finger at, at, at Saul because he kept it perfectly which we know is impossible because Jesus Christ said that the bar is even that much more because you've heard that it was said that you shall not murder. 
But I say to you that if you hate your brother, that you have committed murder in your heart. See, Jesus took it to another whole level so that even the self-righteous Pharisees could see uh, and really push back at the fact that it's impossible to keep God's law. And Jesus Christ even clarified that he didn't come to get rid of the law. He actually fulfilled it. He was able to do what even self-righteous Saul could not, what you and I could not do, and that is uh, fulfill the law of God perfectly. And that's why Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, is able to offer himself as that perfect sacrifice because he never disobeyed God the Father in thought, word, or deed. He was perfect without error. Unlike Saul, who saw himself as perfect, yet, as you will find, uh, he is going to have his world turned inside out. So he was born Saul of Tarsus, and he had the pedigree of, of, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Someone that, as he looked at himself, I am perfect in every aspect. There's nothing that needs to change. But God knew better because something was going to change. Well, we, uh, you know, uh, took a look there in in, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You'll notice in verse 6, it says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Well, this theme comes out in the book of Acts, because if you look at Acts chapter 22, verses 4 and 5, he says, I persecuted this way, the way being uh, Jesus Christ, to the death. So he wasn't just making fun of believers in Jesus Christ and saying, well, you know what, you guys, are, you don't know what you're, you're thinking. You know what, you're just blind and you don't know the truth. No, he was persecuting them to the point of death. Okay, and we have, uh, you know, examples of that, and we'll see that. He says, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So in other words, he was commissioned by the chief priest and the elders to do that very thing, to go around looking for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that saw Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, as the Savior, as the Redeemer, and persecute them to death, to bring them in for them to have their lives taken away. So this is who Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, is before he was that individual. He was a persecutor of the way to the death. Goes on to say, From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So it was his goal, his zeal, his passion to seek out anyone who was a believer in Jesus Christ and bring them in for judgment before the religious leaders of the day, and even to the point of bringing them to be punished, and even some to death. Which, you know, as we, we, you can look back a couple chapters to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, to see the magnitude of this, because it says, Saul approved of Stephen's execution. So he wasn't just there, he approved of it, because that's what he lived for. That was his passion, that was his zeal, That's who Saul of Tarsus was. In verse 3 of that same chapter, 8, it says, Saul was ravaging the church, entering houses after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He dragged them off because of what they believed about Jesus Christ. 
So Paul, who was born Saul of Tarsus, was a devout persecutor of the church. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was vindicated in what he was doing. He was passionate about it. And he saw himself as the uh, end-all, be-all of religious activity. But something happened. Because in Ephesians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Well, wait a minute. An apostle of Christ Jesus? How can this be? Because he was ravaging the church. He was dragging men and women off to see them punished and even given approval of their execution. This can't be the same individual. Well, yes, it is when God's involved. So take a look at Acts chapter 9, because not only was Paul born Saul of Tarsus, he was a persecutor of the church, but he found out that he was going to be in the presence of the holiness of God, the holiness of the Son of God, as he's blinded by God. So take a look at Acts chapter 9, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. And notice here it gives the context once again, but Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So again, still being consistent to who he was, he went to the high priest, and in verse 2 it says, and asked for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul is being Saul. And when he says he has a zeal to persecute the church, he did so. He was still breathing threats and murder against anyone who was a believer in Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, because he was on a mission, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. It was at this point that Saul of Tarsus had his world turned inside out, upside down, and he became the very thing that he lived to hate. A believer in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus called out to Saul at that point. And some of the things that as we study the book of Ephesians, you're going to find out. Notice what Saul was doing. The reason I've given you this context is so you understand, because he's going to be speaking to things such as predestination, election, justification, and sanctification in the book of Ephesians. He's going to lay out for us that salvation belongs to God and that God is the one who saves. Was Paul or Saul at this point seeking God? No. The text says very clearly that he was seeking people to put in bounds or in, you know, to put into prison uh, in Jerusalem. He was seeking to persecute even to the point of murdering them because that's what he lived for. And here the son of God calls out to Saul 
And he falls to his knees and he realizes who he is before the Son of God. That everything that he has been persecuting, everything that he would have known as a Pharisee of Pharisees, that there was a Messiah that came or was to come, that he missed the boat, that he did not see Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. But now he has, because Jesus Christ, in a very pointed encounter, brings Saul of Tarsus to his knees. Because God has plans for Saul as a chosen instrument of God. Because notice in verses nine, or, yeah, chapter 9, verses 10 through 19, as we continue on in the text, it says, Now there, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And we find out from Acts chapter 22 that Ananias was a devout man. He was committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a believer. And so it says, uh, there, he's a disciple at Damascus. And it says, The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And notice this, what it says in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So no matter what your station in life, no matter what your ethnicity, Paul was going to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, giving testimony to the fact that he is no longer Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church. He is Saul of Tarsus, the son of God, and brother to Ananias. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, I love that word, immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. See, the thing is, is Saul of Tarsus had his physical eyes taken away from him. But for the very first time in his life, had his spiritual eyes opened to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The Son of God, Messiah, Redeemer, the one who came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. Was Saul of Tarsus lost? Absolutely. Just like you and me before Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 22, verses 14 through 16, uh, it says, and he said, uh, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. God had appointed Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, to know the will of God to be a part of the will of God, to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve the righteous one, the one from whom he heard directly 
as he appeared to him on that road to Damascus. That is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's who he was before. And so as we think about this, why is it important for you to know who Paul is? Because it's going to set the stage for you to understand that when he's speaking in relation to these things concerning salvation, he is speaking the truth. He is speaking as one who has experienced it firsthand. And he can say without a shadow of a doubt that salvation belongs to God from beginning to end. Because he took someone who was a persecutor of the church, who was the enemy of God, who was spiritually blind, that could not see that what he was persecuting was actually the promised Messiah. And for him to be able to, to now see for the very first time with those, those infant spiritual eyes just how foolish he was in what he'd done. And really, that's the testimony of each and every one of us who finds ourselves at that point where our spiritual eyes are open to the truth of our need of a Savior. That we realize who we were. Because the thing is, you're either a friend of God, a son of God, or a daughter of God, or you're God's enemy. Saul of Tarsus was God's enemy. But yet he did something miraculous in bringing him to his knees and showing him his need of Jesus, who was the Savior the way, the truth, and the life. So what can we learn from knowing who Paul was? I'm going to close by giving you three things to consider. First, God can save anyone. And I believe that wholeheartedly. No one is beyond hope. You know why? Because Jesus took Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of the church, whose zeal was to put to death those who had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and had mercy and grace and patience and long-suffering on the one that would see himself as the chief of sinners and give testimony to that. See, salvation is not dependent upon what a person has or has not done, but solely on the love, the grace, and the merciful choice of God. And this is such a stark contrast, such a, a, a change of, of focus, that even in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, listen to what they said. It says that, that uh, Saul increased all the more in strength. And so as he you know, actually ate after not eating for three days, uh, but also as he, he found himself, you know, um, you know, drawing closer to the Lord, he gained strength. And it says, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So he did the very opposite of what he did before. And it confounded people because Saul of Tarsus was the most unlikely character, if you want to say, in all of human history for God to come and save, the one who was persecuting and putting to death, giving his approval of putting to death those who are, that trusted in the Messiah. So can God save anyone? Yes, he can. Because salvation is God's from beginning to end. Second, God can humble even the proudest. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is, is giving testimony. He says, Now from Miletus to, uh, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And verse 19 says, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears 
and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the very people that he was part of, people that he would have considered his brother as a Hebrew of Hebrews, those that were of the, the, the uh, um, religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones that would, he would have seen himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, all those people had, at that point, saw the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, is now someone who is humble, someone who, with tears and with trials, is giving testimony to saving grace and faith through Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing is, is you know, we, we, you know, I don't know if you know what your name means. Sometimes, you know, you can get the name books, and um, I'm sure Corey and Andrew have gone through a, a few name books here of recent trying to pick out a name for their, their new daughter. Uh, and the thing is, is that a lot of times you look at the meaning of names because you don't want to give your child a name that <laughs> you don't want them to be known for meaning something potentially uh, awkward. But Saul, as you look, you know, uh, into the Old Testament, you know Saul was king over Israel. He was the first king. Um, Well, Saul is from the Hebrew name uh, Shaul, meaning asked for or prayed for. Well, we know that the children of Israel did not want God Almighty to be their God over them. They wanted a physical king, just like all the nations of the world. And so they, they asked God to give them a king. And so he gave them a king whose name was Saul, whose name means asked for or prayed for. And King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, Saul of Tarsus was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he came from a wealthy family as well. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, we read uh, that in relation to Saul, it says, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And we know that King Saul was a proud man. It's interesting that Saul of Tarsus, who was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was circumcised on the eighth day, uh, who is uh, 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 from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, was also a very proud man. You know, you don't call yourself a Pharisee of Pharisees unless you're a proud individual to say that, you know what, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the cream that rose to the top. But the interesting thing is what the name Paul means. Because Paul is from the Roman na- uh, family name of Paulus, which meant small or in Latin, humble. So God took Saul of Tarsus, who by his, you know, um, uh, heritage and of of King Saul's name, someone who was asked for or prayed for, who was a very proud individual, who did not humble himself, uh, and matter of fact, took lots of liberties uh, in his kingship, uh, ended up for uh, Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul. So from being proud to humble, from being great, as you know, Old Testament King Saul was king over all. Saul of Tarsus was Pharisee of Pharisees. And so even those titles that he found himself holding on to and what defined him as an individual, what gave him the zeal and the passion to do what he did, because he saw it as his religious duty and what he was called to do, that was all stripped away because now he was small and humble 
because he lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ, because his focus had changed. It wasn't all about Saul of Tarsus. It was all about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and offered himself as that once-for-all sacrifice. And third, God can use anyone as his ambassador. Acts 22.15 says, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, we talk about Paul having a high calling because God, you know, chose him out and blinded him on the road to Damascus uh, in relation to salvation and saying that he was a chosen instrument and used Ananias as a devout man of God to give him back his physical sight so that he could, you know, step out into the world, obeying the, the voice of the righteous one, the son of God who called him out to let him know what he would do in relation to walking the, the earth and being uh, and giving testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to the children of Israel, that for Gentiles, that uh, there is faith and uh, trust and forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that even kings in their high position need a Savior. And so all those three places that Paul was uh, originally called to, uh, to speak the truth, would come full circle for him. And the thing is, is we kind of look at Paul and we think that, well, you know what? I'm not a Paul. Well, yes, you are. Were you dead in your trespasses and sins when you were made alive in Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God opened your eyes to spiritual things in your need of a Savior to show you your sin when you were perfectly content to live in your sin prior? Yes, you are. So we are no different. And Paul may call himself the chief of sinners because he was actually persecuting people and killing people because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, I've never done that, Pastor Bill. Well, you know what? If we take the example of Christ and saying that, you know, even if you were making fun of believers in Jesus Christ or thinking that those Christians are just crazy individuals that, you know, you know, believe in a fairy tale faith, that those words are just the same. Because, you know what, we're either friends of God or we're enemies of God. There's no middle ground. And God's not going to say, well, you know what, you believe in me a little bit or when it counted. No, it's a complete surrender. It's a complete stopping and turning around. Repentance is turning about face. Did Paul or Saul in our story, you know, or not our story, but our text in Acts 9 do an about face? Yes, he did. He no longer persecuted the church. He became one of the ones that were to be persecuted because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But the thing is, is an ambassador is a representation of either a person or a, an idea or a country. All right. Well, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, then you are just like Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So you can put your name in there and say, you know, I'm Bill, a son of God in the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God to be able to walk and to tell others about Jesus Christ. So God can save anyone, God can humble even the proudest, and God can use anyone as his ambassador. Let's close in a a word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the fact that you kept in your word the full account of who Paul was before he became your apostle before he knew of saving faith in in your son, Jesus Christ, before he knew your will for him. 
Because Paul, uh, as Saul of Tarsus, operated as he saw fit, as he was raised to believe, as he was, you know, saw examples of, as he grew up, as he studied, as he found his uh, way in the world. And it took the very Son of God to stop him dead in his tracks, to take away his physical sight so that he could see spiritually, to take away what he held on so dearly, the things that were tangible that he could hold on to, and as it were, take those completely away because they have no place in someone who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for salvation, and Lord, I pray for each believer here today that as they've heard this and they can recall and remember back to when they first put their faith and trust in Christ, when their spiritual eyes were open, they knew they were a sinner before a holy God in need of salvation. May that day be the day that they can look back on and see that you turned them around, that you uh, took them from being your enemy and made them your friend, your son or your daughter. And that that would give them the ability to see just like Paul, that we are called to be your ambassadors to the ends of the earth. That no matter what man may do, no matter who may come, no matter what form it may take in relation to persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ, whether it is through uh, the liberties that we enjoy uh, being taken away uh, or the, the fact that the things that stand uh, in relation to moral ground uh, that are based in your word are taken and distorted or removed or redefined, that does not change who you are. It does not change who we are in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for each uh, one here this morning that may not know you, or maybe those that are listening online that do not know your son, Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the gospel message has gone forth. And Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would take them from being your enemy and bring them into your fold so that your son, Jesus Christ, can be the way, the truth, and the life so that they can come before you, God the Father, because of the life that they have through your son. In whose name we pray, amen.